0: The reading this morning comes from uh, Parker Palmer's book, Healing the Heart of Democracy. If you hold your knowledge of self and the world wholeheartedly, your heart will at times get broken by loss, failure, defeat, betrayal, or death. What happens next in you and the world around you depends on how your heart breaks. If it breaks apart into a thousand pieces, the result may be anger, depression, and disengagement. If it breaks open into greater capacity, to hold the complexities and contradictions of human experience. The result may be new life.
1: About five years ago, a number of changes occurred That triggered an enormous transition in my life. My only son graduated from high school and went away to college. Our minister of 15 years moved to Oregon, which began a series of interim ministers. My little brother was undergoing cancer treatments, and I began experiencing perimenopausal changes. I will spare you all the details of the latter, (laughs) but I'm going to focus on the most debilitating of these changes for me. By far, what was most challenging is that I began losing my memory and my cognitive ability to think clearly and function effectively in the world. About this time, a friend gave me a book to read entitled Still Alice, about a 50-year-old Harvard professor diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. There were so many similarities between what was described in the book and what I was feeling at that time that I was terrified that this is what was happening to me. Consequently, I went and had an entire psychological testing and workup done, only to discover that my brain is actually fine. I have a great memory, a high IQ, very fast processing speeds, and great problem-solving skills. I was actually flabbergasted by the results of these tests because I felt like I was living in such an enormous fog that my brain was so full of cotton that people could see it coming out of both ears. I couldn't think clearly at all. I was having a very difficult time keeping on top of all the details at work and at home, and at one point, I remember running out of both toilet paper and dog food and wondering if I was going to need to live in a group home because I couldn't seem to manage to keep on top of the details of managing just everyday life and functioning. So while I was very relieved that I didn't have dementia or Alzheimer's, and I was hopeful that it was the result of hormonal changes and that this too would pass, I was seeking all of the help I could find emotionally, physically, um, trying to figure out what was happening to me um, and to figure out ways to best manage it and to cope with the changes. Needless to say, it was a very difficult and a very frightening period. Throughout my life, one of the most therapeutic things for me to do is to write in my journal. It's the way that I can best process my emotions, Um, express how I'm feeling. A couple of key capabilities that I lost in the midst of this brain fog was the ability to read and to write. As a previous avid reader, I even canceled my subscription to National Geographic after 30 years because I couldn't comprehend the articles when I read them. I struggled mightily to write my board reports and my newsletter page. There was a lot of copying and pasting in those pages during that time. I was too overwhelmed to be able to write in my journal because I was simply unable to articulate my thoughts and my feelings in words. And yet the emotions that I was experiencing at this time were so vivid and so strong that I needed a way to express them. While given the gift of prose, my artistic talents, on the other hand, are quite elementary. And yet, art was one of the few ways that I was able to express myself at this time. Using color and images to express my pain was very effective and very cathartic. So with minor reservations, I'm gonna share a few of my drawings with you since they say a picture is worth a thousand words. As I was describing how I was feeling to a colleague, she told me that while in the cocoon, the the body of the caterpillar completely dissolves into a mushy goo before it reforms and transforms into the body of a butterfly. Mushy goo, I said, that's exactly how I felt, just like a pile of mushy goo. Every day I had to go out and function in the world. It felt like I was strapping on my fake butterfly wings and going and doing the things that I had to do, buying the dog food and the toilet paper and going to work and um, being a grown-up. And then, finally, at the end of the day, I could go back home and take my wings off and dissolve back into my natural state of mushy goo. That was my my happy place, my one place where I felt safe um, before I had to go out and do you know, back into the world once again. During this time, I eliminated everything I could from my life that involved interacting with other humans. It took every ounce of energy I had just to come to work and do what needed to be done. I never wanted to go anywhere or do anything with anyone, ever. I wanted to stay home, nestled in my cocoon with my critters, and walk in the woods with my dog. Everyday life felt so hard and so fast that I felt like I was going to break. In the core of my being, I felt this overwhelming urge to eliminate anything that was unessential, to make room for the necessary to emerge. I cut off all my hair, I cut off my nails, I quit wearing jewelry and scarves, which I have only added back for very special occasions. I got rid of excess belongings. I eliminated 98% of my social life. Deep down in my soul, I was craving silence, stillness, simplicity, solitude, and spaciousness. For two years, every fiber of my being was screaming for me to stop. Stop rushing. Stop going. Stop doing. Stop producing. Simply stop. I knew at the depth of my being that I was burned out. I was depleted and I desperately needed a break. Going to work no longer felt like a privilege. I was overextended and no longer able to serve this congregation with love and gratitude as I had been for the past 15 years. I had been requesting a sabbatical leave for many years before Rachel came and agreed and the board approved my proposal. I was so grateful. I was so relieved. I was so excited to begin preparations for this break that had been longing in the depths of my soul. I finally felt hopeful, and I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. And then the bottom fell out. Just over a year ago was my summer of enormous loss. My little brother courageously battled with liver cancer for five years, until the day he died on June 8th, 2016. He left behind four kids, his wife, and my parents. I firmly believe it is horrific for any parent to have to bury their child, especially my parents. While grieving this deep loss, my Siberian Husky Bo was hit by a car and killed. And three of my four cats died horrible and unexpected deaths. I was already down for the count, and this knocked me completely out. I felt as though the ground had been completely removed from under my feet. I felt completely unmoored, lost, and adrift. I spent that summer trying to relate as compassionately as I could with my very raw, bleeding, and broken heart. In times of enormous pain, our tendency is to shut down and close our hearts. But I knew the value of trying to keep my heart open and soft, even in the midst of overwhelming pain and suffering. I tried to stay with the feelings and notice the pain with mindfulness and the utmost of gentleness and compassion. The combination of these losses with the inner challenges that I was already enduring plunged me into the deep night of the soul, the dark night of the soul. Yu Yu World Magazine had an excellent article that spring entitled "A Dark Night's Journey." I related to the article before any of these changes, before any of these deaths had occurred, due to the inner changes that I was experiencing at this time of midlife. The author describes this dark night as a time to go within and examine who we are and how we relate to the world. Spiritually, he says, it is a time ripe with opportunities to crack open the ego and let go of our socially constructed ideas of who we are and what our roles are in the world. In this darkness, all the outer encrustations of our identities fall away, and what remains, he says, is our true authenticity and an open heart ripe for spiritual growth and connection with the divine a true dark night's dark night of the soul he says is a cauldron of change painful to experience but a ripe time for transformation i definitely felt like i was in that cauldron the heat was on and i needed time to cook some concentrated time and space for that inner transformation to occur. Thank goodness sabbatical time was on the horizon because I was so ready. That summer, I attended uh, the Grand Rapids Zen Center and Buddhist Temple with a friend of mine. I found a book in their library on Lojong that really called to me, which I had never heard of before. And upon leaving, a woman inquired about my experience, and I mentioned, oh, I saw this great book in your library that looks really wonderful. And she stopped me and said, if you feel called to get that book, to, to that book, you need to check it out. And I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to be back, probably not till January. This was August. And I still had a whole fall of work to, to come to on Sunday mornings. And she's like, she insisted, I check this book out. Okay, I went back, I checked it out. I lunch with my friend Karen after that and told her about that experience and she says I'm ordering us both a copy right now off of Amazon she went and did it I'm like alright then there's something about this book that really seems to be resonating with me of course I hardly had any time to read it that fall but I felt like that moment was so powerful that it actually created the entire foundation for my sabbatical and honestly changed the trajectory of my life I began my sabbatical on January 1st by going on retreat at Gilchrist Retreat Center for three days. I fasted for the first two days, and I slept for about 14 hours a day because I was so exhausted. And yet being able to finally immerse myself in the silence, solitude, and stillness that I had been so desperately craving was blissful. I wanted to open up and surrender my struggles and fears around the darkness and the changes that I was experiencing. I just tried to let go and have faith and trust in something greater than myself, whatever that force may be, as I clearly felt as though something larger was at work within me in this pile of goo. My primary goal was to develop the structure conducive for the deep rest and the grief work needed to foster healing and support transformation. My intentions for my sabbatical were holistic in nature, um, encompassing a mind-body-spirit approach. Many years teaching in holistic health kind of gets that into your brain, I guess. These were to get back to the gym and be physically active and fit again, to cook and eat healthy foods, to meditate every day, and to begin a study and practice of Lojong. For the first few months, I pretty much stayed in my cocoon. I slept, I read, I meditated, I worked out. I decided to follow Dr. Joel Furman's Eat to Live food plan, um, which prescribes eating mostly vegetables, seeds, fruits, nuts, and beans. So it takes extra time to cut up all your vegetables and uh, process whole, real, raw foods. I read eight books on the challenges of traversing through midlife, seeking guidance and wisdom. I was amazed and thrilled that I could read again and understand what I was reading. I went to the gym, I lifted weights, I did the elliptical, I got in 10,000 steps a day, and I did yoga. Simply not feeling rushed every single day was such a welcomed gift. Having time and space to just simply be was so nurturing for my soul. It felt so good to finally be able to listen to my inner wisdom and honor the beat of my inner drummer, which had been beating for so long and so hard, so persistently telling me to stop, to finally be able to listen and honor that and stop was such an enormous gift. Having so much time and space to engage in the deep grief work allowed my tender heart to open and remain soft enough to let the inner transformation unfold that had been building and ripening in within me the last few years. The richest part of my sabbatical was by far the Lojong study and practice that I did each day. Lojong is an ancient Buddhist mind training program designed to cultivate a compassionate heart and a wisdom mind. I read two sources for this study simultaneously. The book I found at the, at the library at the Buddhist temple is called The Practice of Lojong, Cultivating Compassion Through Training the Mind by Trilad Kayaban, which was absolutely fantastic. And at the same time, many, many years ago, a friend had given me uh, uh, something called the Compassion Box by Pema Chodron that has a series of cards in it that contain the 59 sayings or teachings of the Lojong. And it comes with this book called Start Where, you, Start Where You Are, A Guide to Compassionate Living by the American Buddhist nun Pema Chodron. So I read these at the same time, which had two slightly different perspectives on Lojong. And then I spent an hour every morning and an hour again most evenings sitting in meditation practice in silence with these teachings, trying to let them sink in and resonate to figure out what they really meant and what they had to teach me. The teachings are so rich and so deep that I worked with each one until I felt like I really got it. Not just got it intellectually, but got it viscerally. Got it to the point, to the extent that I could actually pl- apply the teachings in my daily life. Now, of those 59 teachings, I thought, oh, this will be great. I'll do one a day. And then I got into it a little bit, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll do one a, one a week. Well, I'll tell you, it's nine months later, and I'm on number 29 out of 59. It took me a month to get the first one. So they're really rich and really deep, but they have so much wisdom um, and so much to teach And I felt like I was honestly being transformed as I was consciously cultivating this compassionate heart and this wisdom mind. The primary result of the practice for me is that I now view everything in my life through a different lens. The core of Buddhist teachings are to dispel ignorance and to befriend and transcend the ego. As I spent so much time in that dark night of the soul, what I learned was the importance of allowing myself to remain exactly where I was without trying to change it or to fix it. There is deep inner work that takes place in that dark place. When our hearts are broken open and the ground is removed from beneath our feet, we can no longer continue in the status quo of going and doing. There's so much value in consciously stopping, listening and working with the depth of whatever is authentically present for us with mindfulness and with compassion. There have been times over the last few years when I have felt as though I am in limbo, in liminal time, no longer who I used to be, but not quite sure who I am becoming. It is so difficult to sit in this place of unknown, the not knowing. It is so scary. And yet the message that I kept receiving was I just needed to stay open and trust. I needed to have faith in myself and have faith in the process. All was unfolding as it should in its own time, and I just needed to let go and figure out how to persevere in the face of so much uncertainty. There were other times when I felt as though I was a phoenix being transformed directly in the heart of the fire. The pain was excruciating, but without allowing myself to compassionately experience the pain, then the transformation would not have been as profound. Grief ebbs and flows and moves through me. Some days it is still so sharp, it's like a knife piercing my heart. And other days, it's less intense. It's more like a dull ache that resides. Sometimes I think I've I've moved to a new stage of grief, and then something triggers the pain all over again. Instead of the idea of moving through stages of grief, I prefer the image of a spiral staircase as a more accurate portrayal of how grief moves, returns, and moves again. It is ongoing. I will never get over the loss of my brother. It has fundamentally changed who I am. The book, Grieving Mindfully, was instrumental in helping me not only move through the grief, but also has changed the way that I think about death and loss. Instead of feeling like a victim, as I did that whole summer, it's helped me to recognize the opportunity to use the grief and the suffering for my own personal growth and transformation. Sometimes it feels like life acts as a giant piece of sandpaper wearing down the rough edges of my being, helping me to examine my attachments to my ideas, my opinions, my ego. The Lojong teachings help me to stay rooted in humility, curiosity, and wisdom rather than my righteous indignation of how I think things should be. My mom always reminds me that it's better to be kind than to be right. One of my sandpapery moments. Instead of feeling victim by the unfavorable circumstances of our life, the Lojong spirit encourages me to notice everything with curiosity and compassion and try to figure out how do I respond in wise and skillful ways. One of the key teachings for me comes from Pema Chodron when she says, whatever we are doing can be done with three intentions. One, it allows us the opportunity to wake up. Two, ripen our compassion. And three, learn to let go. Three intentions. One, everything that happens offers us the opportunity to wake up. Two, it offers us the opportunity to ripen our compassion. And three, it offers us the opportunity to learn to let go. Instead of approaching life with the perspective that life is fair, which it's not, or expecting life to be smooth and work out the way I want it to, which is not at all how it works. Rather, it's a totally different perspective, a totally different approach to life to think that everything that happens is offering me an opportunity to wake up, ripen my compassion, and learn to let go. I've found since I've discovered this and applied this wisdom in my life that so many of the disappointments and the suffering that I feel, I notice that they soften and they dissipate when I approach them with this perspective. As I've been writing this sermon the last week, I I was struggling with, like, but where am I now? Am I still in the cocoon? Am I out of the cocoon? Am I in the world oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm doing a sermon on this this week and I don't know where I am. So I really did a lot of meditation this, this week to sit with the process and I think what I've discovered is, is I have emerged from this cocoon. But I want you to envision a butterfly that has just emerged but the fluid has not yet engaged into its wings and it's hanging there, soft, fragile, holding on, There's that period of time after the emergence before it is able to fly away, and that's where I feel like I am right now. I am out in the world, but I notice that I cannot do too much too fast just yet as I am still a work in progress. Perhaps the biggest relief is the fact that my brain is functioning and I can read and write again. I can even remember, well, most things, you know, not people's names or where I last set down my phone or... Well, actually, I have to write everything down now. But I've developed some very good habits and systems for reminders that hopefully will continue to serve me. I think the clearest sign of the effectiveness of my sabbatical time came in April. A friend invited me to an informational meeting for a triathlon training group. Curious, I attended the meeting. And when the group leader asked me if I was a runner, a swimmer, or a biker, I replied, Oh, none of the above. I do the elliptical and I lift weights. And she looked at me like, Oh, and walked away. Undaunted. After that meeting, I was so fired up by, by her enthusiasm and the energy that I decided this group of over 100 women in Kalamazoo to train for a sprint triathlon. The fact that I felt like I had the time, the energy, and the desire to do something so ambitious was nothing short of a miracle. It had been so many years since I felt I could do anything more than simply work and parent. It turns out I love swimming, biking, and running. I love the time I spent this summer training for this race. So in August, I competed in the girl's best friend, Sprint Triathlon, and I actually won third place in my age group for the Athena division. That's for us girls over 160 pounds. (laughs) I was ecstatic. What a major accomplishment. Competing as an endurance athlete at this point in my life felt huge. It was a great achievement, and it felt like a culmination of a sabbatical time well spent. My sabbatical contained both great joy and great sorrow and much peace. A metamorphosis has definitely occurred both inside of me and outside. The lojong practice has given me the structure and the skills to courageously and mindfully bear witness to these changes as they unfold within me. Spending time each day consciously cultivating a soft, open and compassionate heart has aided in allowing the waves of grief, sorrow, and despair to move through me. Cultivating a wisdom mind has enabled me to relate to the pain in a different way. Rather than constricting and avoiding it, I am gently seeking what it has to teach me. As I move through it, I definitely feel as though I'm gaining more emotional and spiritual resiliency along the path. And while it is wonderful to be back at church with everyone, the challenge I'm facing now is how to find that elusive balance in life. Regular meditation, exercise, and healthy eating have served me very well this year, and I am a better person when I incorporate these in my daily life. Making time to squeeze them in now is my current challenge. I suppose that this challenge is my current opportunity to help me to wake up, ripen my compassion, and learn to let go. Gaining discernment about what to let go of is half the battle after all. The main lesson I learned from my sabbatical is rather than focusing on what happens, it is how skillfully we respond that determines what the nature of our lives. I want the nature of my life to be about love. Thus, I aspire to keep my heart as soft and open as possible so that I can spread the seeds of peace and love everywhere I go.